Good morning, and welcome to Score Values on 670 The Score. I'm Sean Anderson. Coming up on this week's show, an interview with the Oak Forest Chapter President of Sleep and Heavenly Peace, Dave King, and an interview with the CEO and President of the Better Business Bureau of Chicago, Steve Burness. Welcome to Score Values. I'm Sean Anderson, and today we are speaking with Oak Forest Chapter President of Sleep and Heavenly Peace, Dave King. How are you, Dave? Doing very well, Sean. Thank you for having me. Excited to have you on, and I saw you guys recently on my Facebook feed, and I thought that you guys would be a great organization to have on. Why don't you tell people what you do and what your organization tries to achieve? Sleep in Heavenly Peace is a nonprofit organization that builds beds for children in need. It's a volunteer group. Uh, which is a wonderful thing because um, it takes no experience to join and be a part of something that really has a lasting effect on local children in our area. So it's uh, a lot of fun to be able to unite people and make a difference. And how did you get involved with Sleep in Heavenly Peace? Um, I actually came across uh, Mike Rowe had a television show, Returning the Favor, And I saw that on Facebook and realized it was something that I could bring to our area and definitely realized that there was a need for it. Um, We joke and say child bedlessness isn't a real word, but it is a real problem. What do you mean by isn't a real word? Bedlessness. Um, It's uh, not actually in the dictionary, uh, but uh, we, we use it quite frequently. Gotcha. And and when you build these for free, how how do how can you tell? Uh, do people come and ask you for beds? How do people reach out and try to uh, acquire your services? Um, they can reach out directly in the event that they suffer a fire, flood, domestic abuse, relocation. We say there are so many reasons that can lead to the need for a bed. So um, we encourage families that are struggling to reach out directly to our website shpbeds.org. Or we also accept applications on people's behalf. So there are situations where uh, we have nurses, teachers, counselors, um, shelters referring people that they know are in a situation that could utilize a bed. So we help children ages 3 through 17 And we don't really care why they don't have a bed. We just want to provide them one. And that's what our volunteer group does. We meet, and in just a couple hours' time, we are able to take raw lumber, cut it, sand it, and build handmade bunk beds for these children in need. And then our volunteers not only build them by hand, but we also take time to deliver them directly to these families. And in, again, a few hours' time, we can build about 20 beds. And then throughout the next couple weeks, we deliver those beds. When we run out, we build them again. So we're actually hosting bed build events about once a month and then delivering the beds in between the bed build events. And one of those events is to, today, Sunday, April 25th, uh, from noon to 3 p.m. at Ken Anderson State Farm 
in Tinley Park. Why don't you talk about the the process of that? You talk about making 20 beds in three hours, cutting it from raw lumber. Where do you get the lumber and, and how do you guys teach each other? Is it you are the, the main builder and you're teaching everybody or is it recurring volunteers that are helping new volunteers uh, catch, you know, get, get hold of the ropes and, uh, you know, get going? It's definitely my core crew that gets all the credit for making these bed build events go off. Um, We have it broken down to a step-by-step process. So even if you've never held a drill or worked anything in your life, you can still step in and make a significant difference. There's no experience needed. We have one of our trained SHP volunteers at each one of the stations. So we um, will train to whatever station you feel comfortable working. And we like to teach. We want people to somehow come out of their comfort zone a little bit. So, um, but that's not necessary. So um, that's the beauty of it. We can show you how to work a particular station, and then you can do that if you're not comfortable with it or you want to work a few different stations, you have that opportunity as well. Um, But as as the uh, step-by-step assembly process goes on, by the end of it, we we have the completed bed components, uh, headboard, footboard, side rails, and safety rails, and then they're ready to go um, out to a child in need, and they always are delivered not only with that sturdy new frame, but also a brand new mattress, pillows, sheets, and either a comforter or a handmade quilt. So after we leave, the children are genuinely ready to sleep in heavenly peace. That is amazing work. We're speaking with Dave King, the Oak Forest chapter president of Sleep in Heavenly Peace. And Dave, you talk about the pillows and the mattress and the sheets. Um, how do you guys get those materials? And can people donate outside of you know just volunteering their labor? Everything is donated. So we rely 100% on the community and sponsorship and supporters um, like yourself and Score Values to help us spread the word to reach not only more children in need of a bed, but also more volunteers to help us build and deliver them and more sponsors to help us fund it. Um, We have been very fortunate to partner with organizations like Lowe's Home Improvement, as well as Ken Anderson from State Farm, who you mentioned. On June 12th, we'll be doing a, another bed build event with Sure Home Inspection in New Lenox. So it's nice that we're able to continue building these relationships, not only with local organizations like the Oak Forest Rotary Club or Lions organizations, but also businesses in town. And that way, everybody wins. You know, the businesses are getting some support and then our nonprofit organization gets more more support, more volunteers, and more funding, which of course is obviously necessary for every nonprofit to continue um, building beds, especially as we see the cost of materials continue to rise. Absolutely, it's a community helping the community. Uh, one of the you know wrapping up here, Dave. Uh, one of the questions I did have to ask you was about Sleep in Heavenly Peace. They were founded in 2012, and how you said you found them out because of a micro TV show. Um, what what when you think about the organization that you work with uh, in Sleep in Heavenly Peace. Um, what has been the main reason you keep coming back or keep continuing your work, uh, especially uh, in line with the organization and, and their values? The impact that it has is unbelievable. When you can bring a bed to a child that's been sleeping on the floor and see the impact that it has and know they're going to have that bed for the next 10 to 15 years, it's it's powerful. I guess that's the best uh, best way to say it, powerful. And if you can have that 
experience and have that impact, why wouldn't you? And that's why I think we've um, been so successful in growing because Sleep in Heavenly Peace now has over 250 chapters worldwide. It is an international organization as well. And the reason that it's growing at such a, a, a pace is because it's a win-win. Everybody um, that participates wants to do it again. And that's how we know uh, it's definitely worth our time and continuing our mission. And that's why I want to thank you again, Sean, um, and the 670 the score for having us on and helping us spread our mission to make sure that no kid sleeps on the floor in our town. Absolutely. It's a great mission. And Dave, everyone can go and check you guys out. Uh, you have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash PG slash Oak Forest SHP. You mentioned the website, shpbeds.org. Um, can anyone, is there any other way that people can reach you and get involved if they want to volunteer or donate? That's definitely the best way is through the website. Um, and you can also contact chapters directly um, by visiting the website. You can see that information. And uh, but again, I would suggest um, going through email is, is probably the best way to communicate with the majority of the chapter presidents. Um, but there are over 250. So I encourage everybody to get out and um, search for their nearest chapters. And we are, again, building beds today at uh, noon. So come on out. 171 88th Avenue at Ken Anderson State Farm. Uh, no experience needed. So thank you again, Sean, and um, everybody listening. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, best of luck, and I wish you continued success on your builds, Dave. Thank you. And uh, one more shout-out to all of the crew, uh, the volunteers that make this happen on a regular basis. Without them and all the community support, this wouldn't be possible. So thank you all, and everybody have a great day. This past Thursday, April 22nd, was Earth Day. To commemorate Earth Day, here is a special Odyssey presentation from Karina Delgado. Hey friends, it's Karina Delgado from The Morning Drive on 94.7 The Drive with a special treat for you on this Earth Day. We got to speak with M. Jane, the CEO of Conservation International, to have a deeper discussion about Earth Day, how we can help, and the effects of the pandemic on our planet. Let's dive right in. Going to be honest with you, things are looking real different than they were last year around this time. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that, please? Well, you know, honestly, like last year, we basically had to put Earth Day on hold. So all the celebrations, all the events, all the planning, you know, we were facing an uncertainty in terms of what our future looked like of unparalleled proportions. And so many of those activities were, were delayed or kicked back. The challenge, of course, is that, you know, this is quite literally the most important decade for humanity. Science is very clear on this. What we do over the next 10 years will affect the course of our planet, of humanity, for probably the next 300 years or more. So we're now already one year back. It's almost like doing a 10-lap 10, 10, uh, race and you, you haven't left the starting gate uh, and one lap's gone. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of urgency uh, to our steps this year, and I think we really need to get going. Well, speaking of that one lap specifically, I think a lot of people are under the impression that we are ahead uh, in this race because of the pandemic. But I, I heard that that's not necessarily true. Yeah, no, not necessarily true. So I think it's a mixed record. Uh, so certainly some things about emissions in terms of climate change did 
uh, ticked downwards. So we obviously traveled less by air, cruise ships were in harbors, so an industrial production dropped. But the world's coming back with a bit of a vengeance uh, in, in kind of the good way, like, you know, production is ramping up, and I think people will be in a hurry to catch up. So I don't see that trend sort of lasting very long. Mm-hmm. I think more worryingly, this past year, you know, things like deforestation, forest fires, uh, illegal poaching, uh, things like that, uh, activities that harm the environment actually ticked up in many places mm. because there were fewer people watching, because there were fewer resources available for monitoring, there were fewer park guards, there were fewer people in the forest. Sure. And so what you're finding is a real mixed bag, whereas, you know, in some cases, yes, emissions did increase, but in other cases, it actually went up. And my big worry is that as next year, as, as this sort of next you know, year opens up before us, we don't go back to making the same mistakes we've done for the past few decades. Right. It's time for us to move forward for sure. We got to learn from our mistakes. Uh, can you speak for a moment about what's going on in Kenya? Kenya, you know, to be honest, has a fairly strong park service and a a fairly strong conservation community. So ethics on conservation are pretty strong. But, you know, a lot of Kenya, a lot of the parks, a lot of the protected areas, the natural areas are really dependent on tourism, Mm -hmm. ecotourism, if you like. And when tourism came to a halt, some of the most fabled landscapes in Kenya, like the Masai Mara Game Reserve, you know, where if you, you know, turn on television and watch it, you'll see, you know, the wildebeest migrations crossing the river, you know, all of those huge migrations of animals take place essentially on community land. And the reason these communities end up protecting this landscape is because they're getting revenue from tourism. But that went to almost zero last year because international travel you know, came to a, to a halt and people couldn't go there. Oh, I see. So we, Conservation International, along with some others, stepped in. And in that case, we provided a loan um, called the Mara Rescue Fund, uh, basically a loan program to tide these communities over until we think tourism can recover and, and, and you know, uh, bring back some funding to these communities. Well, that's outstanding. So obviously doing big things with Conservation International, but small things make a difference, too. So can you tell our listeners what are some things that they can do in order to help on Earth Day? Well, I urge folks to go check out um, our website. So, you know, visit conservation.org backslash tips. And we've got lots of little tips and tricks for you to reduce your impact on Earth Day. I think for me, you know, as I try to navigate this, I think small actions and big actions both matter. Mm. You got to do them both. It's almost like being a conscious consumer or being a conscious citizen. So first and foremost, I would really urge everyone to get a little bit involved. You know, dip your toe in, get to know a local organization or international organization like ours or any of the others. Just get a little more informed. In terms of your own personal life, the thing that I really watch for now is what I cook, how much food I waste. Mm. And it turns out that your home really is kind of the big way in which you have an impact on climate. And if you're smart about what you buy and smart about how little you waste, you not only save money, but you're actually saving the planet as well. And then when you think about travel, you know, I know for a fact that I am obviously going to travel for work in the future, but I'm going to do fewer trips. I'm going to stay in country longer. So when I go, 
I'm doing fewer flights, but when I'm there, I'm taking more time to really learn about the place. So change those habits just a little bit as well. And then support companies that have high environmental standards. One of the things that I really noticed last year was virtually every corporate partner that Conservation International works with, whether it's MasterCard or Apple, um, you know, or P&G, they didn't stick with it. They doubled down. They really accelerated their environmental commitments. So mm-hmm. ask companies to do that, support them. And then, of course, you know, politics does matter. Get engaged. Ask your represented elected uh, representatives what they're doing about nature, what they're doing about the environment. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time today. And for our listeners that would like to get more involved, you can log on at conservation.org. Brought to you by Odyssey's One Thing program. We're all on this planet together, so join Odyssey and find your one thing. Do simple things that will have a positive impact that matters, like walking or biking to nearby destinations. Join Odyssey, and together, each of us doing one thing makes a greener tomorrow. What's your one thing? We're all on this planet together, so join Odyssey and find your one thing. Do simple things that will have a positive impact that matters. Buy LED lights or shop with reusable bags. Join Odyssey and together, each of us doing one thing makes a greener tomorrow. What's your one thing? Welcome back to Score Values on 670 The Score. I'm Sean Anderson. On Tuesday, I will be getting my second vaccine shot. Which brings up a conversation I had in March with Steve Burness, the CEO and president of the Better Business Bureau of Chicago, about people sharing their vaccine cards on social media and the potential dangers that could have. I think you got to take the whole consideration of identity theft into perspective on that. What I mean by that is it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when your identity will be stolen. It just happened to me a few weeks ago down in Kentucky. Somebody filed an employment claim against me. So you don't want to give the scammer, the identity thief, any more additional information on yourself in order for them to complete their scam of you. Uh, so the, the worst case scenario is giving them your birth date or anything else like filling out a survey online. You ever see those surveys that pop up, you know, win $100 if you fill out the survey. They kind of ask you questions that are similar to, you know, um, you know, um, where you live before, what was your favorite street name? Because what ultimately happens is they're, they're building this profile on you. And I've been in the dark web. It's pretty dark down there. But there's so much information about you that you don't realize. And eventually they'll have enough information to steal your identity. So in essence, by putting your vaccine cards you know, to show off is, is, is good to do. But please, you know, blacken out uh, your name or your birth date or any other confidential information or just cover it up because – yeah, you know, they can use this against you, and it may not happen today. It can happen five years from now, ten years from now. But the more information you give the scammer, the ID thief, the easier it is to steal your identity. And people don't realize how freely they're giving up this information, especially in those surveys, because they ask you, "What's your graduation year?" Well, they want to know how old you are. They want to know what street you lived on because they want to see if they can tie you into another record. So you want to find out as much information about you. So please don't put those cards on there with the confidential information in any way, shape, or form. And something that I've been seeing, you guys even mentioned that uh, there's there's other vaccine scams, especially like people selling fake vaccine cards. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, we're seeing an increase in that. It actually started in the U.K. Uh, right when the vaccine came out, and it's continuing across the world. But now we're seeing it in Illinois itself. And, you know, what really it comes down to be, Sean, is there really no database 
uh, of all these vaccinations and who's getting them or not. So the employer, the airlines, uh, other modes uh, will, you know, keep it, uh, will want to have information on you in order to, you know, cross the border, get on a plane, whatever, maybe that you've been vaccinated. Well, guess what? The scammer is coming up with these blank cards so you can fill in your own information. And I just, for the sake of our call, or I just looked on eBay and there's one for $199, a COVID-19 vaccination card replica. $199. It's just amazing that these scammers will stoop to this level, but really it's more of a security breach if you think about it. You know, eventually when, you know, this pandemic is over, uh, you know, in order to be, what might happen in order to get on airlines or maybe across the border, you have to show proof. Well, the people that don't get didn't get the vaccine will have these counterfeit products, which is hard to determine if it's fake or not, because they're really yet, in, in, at least from my expertise, there's no national database. So the scammer knows that and is trying to, you know, take advantage of the situation. But it's, it's just mind-boggling what these scammers do. And, and with this pandemic, it's just been a nonstop 24-7 job for the Better Business Bureau to keep up with these scams. And I can assure you, I can't. We can't. Uh, it just, it's just too many of them. But I can tell you one thing, though, is the only way to put scammers out of business is not to give them the business. And I think consumers need to remember that. They think that government's there to protect them and and or get their money back or whatever it may be. And, and I, I can assure you there's, there's not enough governmental agencies in the U.S. to take care of all the fraud that is actually happening because most times we only seen, you know, we only see, you know, nine out of ten times we don't see what really happens out there because consumers write off to experience. You could think of your own life, Sean, how many times you probably should have complained to somebody about somebody or, or something and you didn't do that. Just for the sake of time, if you think of that's how they, these scammers get away with it. And so if you see something you know, please say something. The you know the Better Business Bureau has a scam tracker that keeps track across the scams all across North America, and we can zero down all the way to a zip code and let you know what scams are happening in your neighborhood. So, uh, you know, my probably my biggest frustration, uh, Sean, has been for consumers who don't check ahead of time; they check after, uh, and unfortunately, they realize they've been scammed. If they check out first; uh, they might not be scammed in the first place and become educated. Is the most important thing. We are talking to Steve Burnus, the president and CEO of uh, the Better Business Bureau of Chicago and Northern Illinois. And Steve, you you have 30 plus years of experience in this business. You talk about your expertise. In the past year, we've been dealing with all these COVID scams. Um, what has surprised you the most over the past year uh, working at the Better Business Bureau uh, with all these scams that have popped up? Um, is it shocking to see all this pop up? Is it just with the line of work? It's not really shocking that they're all popping up. It's shocking that people are falling for it. The scammers would stop scamming people if it didn't work. But unfortunately, Sean, it's working to their advantage because these people are home. They're not going to traditional marketplace anymore. Everybody's working from home or on their computers. So the scammer knows that, and they go where the money's at. So it's quite shocking when you hear from consumers afterwards you know, that they fell for these types of scam, which have been around for years, but they've been magnified because that pandemic and they've been magnified because everybody's on the Internet today. And it's just amazing that consumers are not are too trustworthy um, in they're believing these things that they see on the Internet. And we're seeing the scams like, you know, continue to double and triple 
from scams reported last year, you know, before the pandemic. And it's just really disheartening to see because, you know, so Sean, sometimes it's a few thousand dollars, you know, that people are losing, but that's a life savings to some people who are down on their luck. Uh, so I think these consumers are too trustworthy and it's quite shocking that uh, these scammers can, you know, get away with it so easily uh, and fool the public at large. And unfortunately, the consumer spends a lot of time afterwards checking on them, you know, to see that they verify they are a scammer. When if they would have done that, Sean, and initially they wouldn't have been scammed. So, so I think people do too much research after they get scammed, and it's no good at that point because the money you just like opening a window and throwing your money out. The same thing, you're not going to get it back. But it's it's funny and mind-boggling that consumers, you know, spend ten times more at the end when they know they've been duped and trying to find information about that person, only realize they've been scammed. If they'd have done that in the first place, they wouldn't have been scammed. Yeah, and you talk about people, these scammers, taking uh, taking money away from people who really need it. And, and some of the you know the people that fall into that category are the people that are receiving these stimulus scams, or the stimulus checks, and the scams that are around the third round of these stimulus checks coming out. Um, what, what are the tactics that these scammers have been trying to get people to bite at these stimulus scams? I know one of them is fake checks. What, what do fake checks look like, and how, how do people get scammed by those? Well, basically, they're telling you they have a check available for you that, you know, here's the picture of it or a copy of it that's coming on its way. That's all you, you have to do is click here and, and put in some information so we know it's you. So basically, they're they're trying to twist the truth around because nor, people don't have to do anything to get the check. They will receive them electronically or in the paper or in a mail or they will get a debit card. But these scammers are really saying, we have the check. Here's a copy of the check. You can deposit it. And and the secondly, they're saying that in order to get the check, you have to fill out this information. So you're not going to get your $1,400 until you fill out this information. And the information they ask for you is what's your name, what's your social security number, what's your bank account number. And that's the stuff they can use to steal your identity. So they, they don't have anything of value. They just they make you think they have the value and you freely up, give up this information. So nobody can help you get the stimulus checks other than, you know, going directly to the IRS. So if anybody promises you they can get the check faster, get you more money back, or whatever it may be, don't believe them and don't click on those links. It's getting to a point, Sean, where the Better Business Bureau suggests two things. One is you do not click on any links uh, unless you know that company sent it to you directly, that they told you they're going to send it to you. If you get a link from a company and you're not sure, I would call that company first and foremost to see if they sent you that link because, you know, right now it seems like five out of ten times, you know, those the scammers are sending fake links or phishing emails to them. And by clicking on those phishing emails, uh, they can do great damage to not only your PC but your employer's PC. Uh, it can wreak havoc on the organization, put companies out of business, you know, that they've been a recipient of these phishing scams. And the second part of my point was is not to answer your phone anymore. The robocalls are getting to a, a, the magnitude. I stopped answering my calls at work as well because it seems like at least nine out of ten calls have been scam calls. I mean, they don't know who they're calling. They don't think they don't know they're calling the BBB. They're just calling names and uh, you know, the fake directories, or you need to be listed in Google. You have to press one and two and and all that stuff. But so what I meant by that is don't answer your phone. Let it go to voicemail. One is some scammers don't leave voicemail messages because they just go on to the next victim. And if they do, you can research the number first and let you know let the authorities know about that bad website or bad number. 
so they can go after them. Um, but really, it's getting to a point where it's just the scams and the robocalls and the millions and millions of them are, are received each and every uh, day in, in America. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on a future edition of our show, or if you'd like to share information about an upcoming charitable event, send us an email at scorevalues670 at gmail.com. That is scorevalues670 at gmail.com. I'm Sean Anderson, and thanks for listening to this week's edition of Score Values on 670 The Score.